All right, well, good morning. It is 2014. You will say that incorrectly at least a dozen times this week. You will write it even more than that. Um, I have a rule. If it is this cold outside, which is it's to the point of painful. It was painfully cold this morning walking out of the house. My rule is I'm okay with it as long as there's snow. All right? If, it, if it's going to be this cold, it needs to snow. So this is God just kind of going, is this enough? How about that? Uh, I, I watched it. It's snowing, but it's not. It's so anyway, we're, we're cool. It's freezing cold, but there's snow, so it's all good. Um, I'm glad you're here. It is nice and toasty inside. I want to give just two updates really more than anything. First one, most importantly, because it affects everyone. Next Sunday, that is January the 12th, for those calendar people, we're back to two services. Uh, school is back in session. Everyone should be back from all their holiday festivities Two services next Sunday, 9.30 and 11 a.m. in this building, children's ministry in our permanent building for both services. Everything kind of goes back to normal, okay? So if you've joined us in the last three or four weeks as we've been at one service, two services next Sunday, and believe it or not, there'll be more people than this in each of them. It's kind of crazy how that works. So that's the first thing, just kind of housekeeping. Second thing, praising God for your generosity, Project Christmas is officially over just because the year is over. Um, but you as a church, uh, I, I think you went above and beyond. There was $56,945 raised by you for Project Christmas. And you can do the math, you know, that's like eight wells or that's a billion buckets or straws. Or, but here, here's what that really means. All of those funds, all of those resources, every dime that was given by you is going to go to literally make an impact in the life of someone who, without your generosity, would not have clean water to drink, or a child who has no parents because they're orphans. And the cool thing about this year is, and not like this isn't cool, in the years past we've written that check for $56,945, we've written it to Living Water International, they've done tremendous work, we've gotten to take trips with them, that's been incredible. This year, we're not writing that check. This year, that money is going to sit here until our global mission trip teams go to Kenya, to China, to Haiti, where we will then meet with organizations and groups of people that we are going to get to establish long-term relationship with, and we're just going to happen to say, uh, what do you need here? Do you need a well? Great. Do you need two? Wonderful. We'll pay for them. We'll pay for them. In fact, we'll send people, we'll dig them. <laughs> and, and then this is something that I think starts to produce long-term transformation in lives. That's why this is so cool. It's not just an amount of money. That's awesome. But what that money represents in lives changed and lives saved, it's incredible. And you deserve a lot of praise for that. But God gets all the glory. So thank you, Summit Church, for that. I'm going to pray. And then we are going to do something that I, it's hard to even put in perspective how excited I am about it. Our passage today is Ephesians 3.20 and 21. Ephesians 3.20 and 21. Um, this is the end of part one of Ephesians. We are kind of literally halfway through, but starting next Sunday in chapter four, the, the whole shift and tone of the book goes towards much more practical things. And Paul ends with these two verses, verses I'm very familiar with but have never had an opportunity to teach on. And 
he ends with these in their doxology, their spontaneous praise. It's like right in the middle of this letter, Paul just gets overwhelmed with God, and he starts talking about God in this amazing way. And I think even though this passage is very clear in its meaning, that God can do anything, we lose the context of it when we see it in any other sphere other than the context of prayer. Because the passage clearly says God can do anything, actually exceedingly abundantly more, than we could ask or think. So this passage is about prayer. I'm excited about this passage because it's about prayer. And here's why. For some reason, I'm just being honest with you. My New Year's resolution to lose weight, my New Year's resolution to be more whatever, set those aside. I feel like every year, the beginning of the year, the Lord just pulls at my soul to pray more. And I think there's a very innate reason for that. He desires relationship with me. And for some reason, as the year grinds on and as life happens, prayer diminishes. So, it's appropriate five days into this new year as my heart is burdened by last year's lack of prayer and my desire for this year to be different. I mean, who's with me? Come on. That we would talk about prayer in this context. This is good. So let's pray, ask God to speak to each of our hearts, and let's see what happens. Father, for who you are, we thank you. For what you're going to do, we give you the glory. What we ask of you this morning is to burden us towards prayer, to convict us of our need for you and intimacy with you, to speak to our spirit through your spirit that you promise will even give us words to pray if we don't know what to pray. May we see our lacking without you May we acknowledge before you and before man our need for you in prayer. And then God, when we do humble ourselves and pray, may your word be true and that you will give us whatever we ask for in your name. What what an amazing promise. Forgive us for when we fail to ask. Forgive us for where we fall short. May your grace be sufficient for all of our needs. And our greatest need is you. So God, come and reveal that to us today through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Going back to verse 19 of Ephesians 3. If you have your Bibles, it's right there. It's not going to be on the screen. But in verse 19, Paul dreaming about one church united, one body under Christ, his prayer for the church ends with this audacious request. If you remember last week, we had a stair step, a staircase of prayer, ending with this request of God that the whole church, all of its members, would be filled to the fullness of God. That the fullness of God would be imparted on every member of the church. We talked about how a lot of commentators don't even believe that's possible because God is too much for us to be filled 
by Him. But that was Paul's request for every person who is in Christ Jesus, that we would be filled to the fullness of God. I think it is the audaciousness of that request that spurs his doxology, that spurs his spontaneous praise. I think it's him looking and going, I just asked God for that, that makes him write verse 20. And we will spend literally 95% of our time together looking at verse 20. But it's in that context I believe that it comes out. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. I normally teach from the NIV. There's no real reason for that. But the New King James Version, I think, grasps the heart of the Greek text better than any other version. So that's why I'm using it this week. I'm not trying to make it say anything that it doesn't say. So Ephesians 3.20 from the New King James Version says this. Now to him, that's God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Three superlatives that you may want to underline in your Bible. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask or even think. Some of your translations say imagine. That's not a bad translation at all. Think or imagine according to the power that works in us. I'll read it again, then we'll break it down. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ask or even think according to the power that works in us. Now this is not another staircase. But if you look behind me, I I want you to grasp the fullness of this one verse. So we've made a little chart, if you will, a little line item here that takes each phrase and I think just expounds on it a little bit, but I'm not changing anything, so just notice that. It's still just that one verse kind of broken down. So it starts with this unto him, unto God. He's thanking God. He's praising God. This is spontaneous doxology. It's praise. Unto him who is able to do. Stop there. Who's able to act. That Greek word there, do, means all of these things. Okay, It's a huge list. That one word can mean this who is able to make, who is able to cause, who is able to affect, who is able to bring about, who is able to accomplish, who is able to perform, who is able to provide, who is able to create. All of those things. That one word can be translated all of those ways. Now, since we're talking about what God can do, they would all apply. God can cause, effect, bring about, accomplish, perform, provide, or create. He does these things. The point that I believe Paul is trying to make here is that our God is a working God. He is not idle. He is not lazy. He is not dead. Like many of the pagan gods of the Old Testament, He is very much able. He is capable of doing what we ask Him to do. The story that comes to mind is Elijah on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. One man versus 800 men. And the contest is simply this. Pray to your God, whichever God causes the sacrifice to ignite and burn up, is the real God. 
All day long, the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah, they go, they pray, they petition, they cut themselves, they beg, they scream, they do all this. Elijah starts to mock them. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on the pot. I don't know. You should do more. All he's trying to say is, your God can't do this. Because he's not alive. My God, however, is alive. And Elijah says, I'll show you today just how real he is. And he says, now move. Bring me some water. Let's make this big deal. He prays a simple prayer. God, reveal yourself to these people today. God, do what you do. Stones, bull, the wood, gone, fire. God does. He works. He moves. He's not dead. Unto him who is able to do what? Next line. All that we ask. We could stop right there. Paul doesn't. He's going to get a little squirrely here in a minute. But we could stop right there. Unto him who is able to do all that we ask. That is more than sufficient for me. (laughs) To the God that can do everything I ask him to do. Is, Is this even true? Is this just fancy talk from a Bible writer, or is this true? Well, there's other places in Scripture that I think provide guidelines to this truth. There is a God in heaven that we pray to, and when we ask Him to do stuff, He can do all that we ask Him to do. Uh, But there are some guidelines. James 4, verse 3 is, is a big one. James 4, verse 3, it says, And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Okay? You want only... He will give us only what gives himself pleasure. And sometimes when we ask, we're asking for the things that give us pleasure. James 4.3, my paraphrase, that's what it was. When you ask, you don't get what you ask for because you ask with wrong motives. But if your motives are right, if your motives are pure, if your motives are good, if your motives are what pleases the Lord, you can ask for whatever you want in the name of Jesus and it will be given to you. My favorite passage regarding this is 1 John 3, 21 and 22. John writing, he says this, Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, if we don't feel guilty, if our conscience is not burdened by guilt, primarily from sin, we can come to God with bold confidence. And when we do so, we will receive from Him whatever we ask. Why? Because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. So, here's here's what Scripture teaches us. If you pray with a clear conscience, that can only come by the grace of God. The clear conscience comes by the grace of God and the forgiveness of God being poured over us in Christ Jesus. But, if you have that clear conscience, if you're good with God through Christ Jesus, then, if we do what God commands us to do in this right here, and I know that's not easy, but if you are living the life that God has commanded you to live, so there's two commands, two God guidelines already, a clear conscience, a clean heart, you're doing what His Word says to do, and if you're seeking to please God in every possible way, then what verse 20 in Ephesians 3 says is this, He is able to do that. He's able to do, and He will do whatever you ask of Him. And you've heard this before. And that this isn't primarily just a prayer, a prayer talk, how to pray. But I can't stand when people seem to think that God is broken. 
that God doesn't do what he says he can do. It hurts my heart, even personally, when I pray and what I pray for doesn't happen, and I start to blame God for that. Because that's not on God. Scripture says that's on me. And I know for those of you who are skeptics, you're like, well, that's awful convenient. So the Bible says God can do anything, but we've got to be perfect for it to happen. No. No. You need Jesus. I think that's a given. You need him to give you a clean conscience, and that can only come from him, not through your own works. You need to be living in accordance with Scripture. Not perfectly, because you've got Jesus. And if what you pray for is only to please you and not God, I don't think that's going to bring him honor or glory at all. Of course the answer is no. There's a lot of stuff that falls under pleasing to God that if we simply ask, he'll do. But do you see what that third line of Ephesians 3.20 says? He's able to do all that we ask or think once again, the translation can be imagine. The reason I kept the word think there is because a lot of times when we think or use the word imagine, it becomes whimsical. Like, well, I want a pony with a, that's actually a unicorn. I, I want, I want a un, I, I've always wanted that. I want a unicorn in my backyard in my playhouse that, that I have a tea party with Michael Jordan every day in. That's my imagination. <laughs> I don't really want those things. That, I, words were just coming out of my mouth. I literally... Don't know where any of that came from. <laughs> That's your imagination. And so imagine it's true, but God can do everything you ask of him. And then what Paul's saying is this. He can even do stuff that you don't ask. He can do the stuff you just think about. And if you let that marinate for just a minute, you all know what he's talking about. Because whether it's for fear or doubt or embarrassment, there's things you just won't ask God for. Ooh, yeah, I would like that, but no, that just seems like I, I shouldn't pray that he would, you know, bless the world or that, just, I won't go there. If you even think it, if it crosses your mind in your, in your imagination, oh, he can, he can do that also. And I told you, Paul's going to get squirrely here, and he, he does. Three superlatives. Three superlatives. Here's how that would play out. He can do abundantly above what we can ask for or think. And then it's like Paul goes, no, that's still too limiting. He can do exceedingly abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think he might be able to do. That's your God. The God that can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you can ask or think of him to do. That's your God. And that's why this is spontaneous praise. There's no need for all three superlatives. He could have stopped after God can do anything. 
But he doesn't stop there because he loves his God and he had just prayed an audacious prayer and now he wants his readers in the churches around Ephesus to hear this. The God that you pray to can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think he can do. That's how big your God is. He can do this because he's God. He is limited only by himself. He is not confined by time or space. There is no power greater in the universe. There is no force more powerful than God. There is no knowledge higher than the one that he possesses. He's God, and there is nothing greater than God. He is above all things. He is in all things. He is God. And when you study that name, you start to understand that only God can be God. There is nothing like God because He is God. And when that begins to resonate in your heart, you start to grasp just a little bit of how big and how powerful and how smart He really is. In the sentiment that He is God, that means something. Because there's nothing else that is God. There's nothing else like Him. And yet, he listens to the prayers of his children. From his throne as God, he hears our requests. And I believe what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that as cool as it is to think that God hears us, that's not the most astounding thing. The astounding thing is how he responds to us in ways exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could even think. Prove it. Abraham wants a son. God hears his prayer and gives him a nation. That's bigger than what he thought. Daniel simply wants to be protected. God closes the mouth of wild beasts. And when the executioners come back to pick up the remains, cuddled up with the wildest beasts of the earth. The children of God cry out for 400 years, we're slaves in our own land. What is going on with it? We, we, what is happening here? We do not desire to be slaves anymore. Instead of simply freeing them, God sends plagues. He turns one of the most powerful rivers in the world into blood. He covers the land with locusts. God did way more than they requested. And then... A few hours after their release, they're ready to turn around and go back to Egypt because there's a stinking ocean in their way. And God says, I've, you don't have to go back. I've got this one in the Red Sea parts. That's more than they could have fathomed in their lives. The disciples are in the middle of a lake. Their boat is going under. They ask 
God in the form of Jesus to help them bail out the water before they all die. And Jesus wakes up from his nap, and instead of picking up a bucket, he raises his hand and he says, quiet, be still, and the wind and the waves obey him. That wasn't what they were looking for. That wasn't what they requested. And in those final moments where Satan had thought that he had won because Jesus was in a grave, God, who desires the hearts of all people, through his power and his power alone, does something that maybe a few could have expected, but no one really saw coming. He raised his son from death to life. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. And Romans 8, verse 11 tells us this, that the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit lives in you. And that's how Paul finishes verse 20, if you can get the graph back up there. Verse 20 ends with how God will unleash this unfathomable power on the world. It will happen according to the power that is already at work within us. How will God move in such mighty ways? What is he going to do? Is it like a lottery system? I, I, I throw my prayer up there and just hope he picks my number, and if he does, then he's going to do exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever imagine. Is that how this all works? Is that possibly, how could I be that lucky that he picks my prayer on this day? No. That power that can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think, that power is already at work within you. So why do we believe so little? Why do we pray so small? Why do you doubt so much and fear so frequently? Why? Why do we do that? God is alive in you and working within you, and he's just waiting to blow your socks off by doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think by the power that is working within us. All you have to do is think that he can. We call that faith. You have to believe that he can. And then, and then here's the, the beauty. And then ask him. Ask him to move. Ask him to blow your mind. Because he wants to do so. There's a phrase that I want to echo in your hearts and in your minds. For those of you like me who desire this kind of prayer life, but who have this kind of prayer life, who, who desire the exceedingly abundantly above all kind of mentality and know that God can do it, but who, who lack and who wonder and who doubt and who fear the worst. Uh, for, for those of you like me who want to be here, I want this to echo in your minds and in your hearts. What you have yet to experience 
what you are hoping to someday get, what you desire to see from God move in your life, what you have yet to experience is what you have already known. What you have yet to experience is what you have already known. For when you have seen God move at all, He is exerting the same power in your life that He would exert over here. When the simplest of your prayers, the most humble of your cries before God have been answered, yes. When you have experienced that, then you have experienced this. The only difference is the result. You already possess the power. God does not change. He does not categorize. He does nothing else. You have already experienced it in full. The only difference is the result. And I say that to encourage you, not to discourage you. There's no master level course in this. There's no seminary degree that will allow you to pray in this way. The guys that I spoke about from Scripture, they experienced the same power working within them that we possess, and they saw oceans divided, wind and waves stilled, plagues casted, protection given, nations birthed. They saw these things from the same power working within them that all of you who are in Christ Jesus possess. So, can your God do this? Can your God do this? If your God is Yahweh, the God of the universe, then the definitive answer is yes, He can. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or even think. But what if God is not your God? Scripture tells us that we will wage war between God and money. That's just going to be there because of our flesh, because of sin. So for those of you in the room who Jesus knew would, would struggle with this, with materialism, with money, let me ask you, if, if money is your God, not that you would proclaim that or worship it, but by your actions and your beliefs, money is your God, let me ask you this. Can money do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you've ever asked it to do or think it could do? It can do a lot. I mean, I'm not stupid. I'm familiar with what money can do. Money is a blessing. It can do much. But for those of you who have asked your God money to bring you joy, did it do that? When you asked for joy, did it bring you joy? When you asked money to provide for you security, what, what happened there? When you desired for money and requested that your money would bring you companionship, how did that work out for you? When you put your hope in your God money, did you find yourself emboldened or weakened? Because there's only one God who can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask it or think it to do. And that is our God. And he demands that you cast out all your other gods and call upon him. 
and then he will move in your life, and I know he will. Why? Because as the band comes back up here, I want to read verse 21. I told you 95% of the time, verse 20. Why do I know that God will answer your prayers when prayed with the right heart? Why do I know that? Because of verse 21. Because the ultimate heart of God is for him to receive glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And the best way for him to receive glory through the church because of Jesus Christ, that all generations will see forever and ever, the best way for him to do that is to be a God who, when asked by his church, goes above and beyond. Because when he goes above and beyond what you ask him, or even what you think him to do, that's going to reflect good on him. That's his glory. And I know, church, that he will answer yes to those prayers asked of him with the right heart, with the right motives, because when the answer comes yes, he gets his glory through you, the church. So we start this year, two questions. Which God, which God are you honestly asking to move in your life? Is it Yahweh, the God of the universe, or is it another God that you've put up there beside him, one more tangible, which God, if it is not the God who can do exceedingly abundantly more than you've ever thought, then I recommend you repent. I recommend you turn from that God and turn back to the one true God. But the second question is this, what would this year look like? What would this year look like if you got this? Trick question. You can't know that. Because he says he's going to do exceedingly abundantly above what you ask him to do. So what you're hoping for this year what you're praying for this year, what I'm petitioning God for this year on your behalf, that's not what we're going to get. You're going to get more. He's going to do more. I beg you to walk in that power. I beg you to trust in that God. I beg you to follow his commands, to approach him with a clean heart and to desire what he desires. For then, when we ask anything in his name, he will do it. And not just what we ask. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even think. That's what it could be. So today as we respond to that God, as we worship that God, as we pray to that God, do so in confidence. If you need to repent of, of the gods that you've trusted, then come forward. Let one of our prayer team members or our pastors pray for you, pray with you. Just confess that sin and repent. If you need God to move in your life, but you don't know how to even start, how to even pray, you know the burdens that you're carrying and you want to give them to him and you don't know where to start, come forward and just let us pray for you. It, it works the same way. 
Whatever you need, this, this is your time to be ministered to by that God. But just make sure the truth remains. If you come forward expecting that God to move, he's probably going to do more than you expect for his glory through the church. For the rest of us, may we just give God the praise that is due. May he receive his glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond to him.